2: And the idea of being a sexual human being, like a sexual person or an entity is just the hell are you thinking, you know, and these some of these girls at church had to live two lives at church. They were this holier than thou person, but out, out on the streets, like people hear this stuff. Right. And so they always had like this weird duality, you know. And a lot of these girls, too, and people always hear about this joke. It's like, oh, always get that Catholic girl because they're freaking the sheets. But that shit was true. Like, because they had to repress it throughout the whole thing that, you know. In five, four, three, two, one, Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Genius Brain Podcast. Now, normally, we don't really do this because you guys are so used to seeing people that I I know uh, personally in the in the comedy space. But in the past... I've been doing this podcast now for three years, right? And one of the, the, the things that has been like an ongoing theme is a talk about mental health. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest things why is because it's something that I never really focused on. And, you know, I went through counseling and everything like that when I was younger. But I didn't, I don't think when you kind of live in a small bubble, you kind of think that everybody thinks the way that you do, especially when you don't have conversations about stuff like mental health. So specifically when it comes to like, I'm, I'm, just because obviously I'm Korean American, I only know about the Korean American experience, right? Mm-hmm. And we were talking about it earlier where I was telling you about, you know, people that I know in my personal life who have parents that are in denial that their kids need help simply because they don't want to admit that something's wrong. Right. So like when I was a kid, <clears throat> I remember just like even in like the church scale, right? Something like their kid, I don't know they would have anger issues or something else. And instead of addressing what this, the issue that the kid has, they get mad at everybody else in the congregation saying that my kid's fine. You guys are all fucked up. Right. right. <laughs> you know? And so this is, tends to be like a big issue that I think that a lot of like Asian Americans have. Or maybe it's just like immigrant parents. I don't I I feel like a lot of immigrant people outside of just from Asian people deal with this idea this denial that people need, you know, help in terms of like the mental space. Like it's just something that's never been addressed. And it's something that I had to deal with when I was a kid because I always assumed that I was okay. And one of the biggest things that I started to realize was that um there's a difference between like venting and hanging out with your friends and getting like professional help from a therapist right because those things are therapeutic but Mm -hmm. it's not therapy Mm -hmm. and i didn't know the difference and i'm like oh i could just talk to my friends and i'm perfectly fine and then every day nothing would get solved we would just meet together (laughs) we would just gripe about the same things over and over again and i would still deal with the same issues and i'm like oh i I thought i had therapy and it's not so um liz (laughs) is a is a therapist and I thought it'd be great for you guys to kind of hear the perspective of somebody who's, who's in this field rather than somebody for me who's going through therapy instead. So um, one of the topics that I really wanted to talk about uh, you know, and that you wanted to bring up as well was kind of like the, the issue with, I guess, like therapy and like Asian culture and how I feel like or maybe we feel like a lot of people don't get the help they need specifically in Asian culture and why. And like I wanted to know your thoughts on that.
3: Yeah, I mean, it is so highly stigmatized, right? Um, not only in Asian culture, but I think I also grew up thinking therapy is only for people who gets locked up in asylum yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So if you go to therapy, you're really crazy. Um, so I didn't go, start going to therapy until I was um, 30 something, 30, 30 years old or something like that when I started um, my school for to become a therapist. I only started because I knew I'm like, gonna become a therapist and I don't know what therapy is. Let's go
1: check yeah, it out. Okay.
3: I wanted to help people. I, I like mental health. I like um I mean like psychology, but I didn't really know what I would be doing, thinking like, okay, when I go to therapy, like they're gonna just tell me I'm good, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I felt pretty confident, like I know myself, I'm you know. Little that I knew, I I found out so many different things about myself, like, wow, I didn't know I was living my life this way. So my perception obviously then changed, like, oh, okay. It's just really about exploring who you are, you know, what you wanna be. And maybe, yeah, if you're dealing with crisis, you learn how to deal with it. But yeah, even, so I didn't know, like therapy could be just anybody and it doesn't have to be crisis management. but yeah i i think still my parents don't i don't think they really know yeah. what i do they know that i get paid from like talking to people but i don't think they really know like, like why what therapy is <laughs> yeah like i i tell them sometimes like hey you should really go to you know couples therapy like whatever you yeah, know yeah, like yeah, you don't yeah. need that
2: yeah. yeah i mean there's like an older generation where i think there's like a, a big difference now where people are starting to understand the idea of like you're not minimizing how you feel um I mean, there's like a there's a balance between it both. I think sometimes it swings hard this way and it swings hard the other way too. Mm-hmm. But um, like the idea of, of feelings that I think that this generation has and our generation too, it's we have a little more time to think about how we feel. Mm-hmm. You know, so for you know, I believe like our parents and my parents, the I, the thought of like feeling it's like oh, I gotta survive, right? <laughs> you know, those things get pushed aside.
3: Yeah, you don't have time to really truly. I guess explore how you feel, right? You're just busy making the ends meet, and your kids are crying. You're, you know, you have to pay bills and whatever. So I think when you when you're able to stop, maybe that's when kind of like you start feeling things. And what do you do? Like, oh, I have little, such little time. I'm gonna go hang out with my friends or just drink and whatnot, right? And that's how you feel better a little bit, but you don't really get to
2: yeah and any I, of your
3: real issues.
2: Like I think like. Because I never got to know my father very well through him, I actually had to get to know my dad through my mom. Because my dad is like, he, it's weird because he's a he was a pastor, so you know he tends to his flock and he takes care of these people. But when it comes to his emotion, he's very good at telling what pe- people what to do but the other way around it doesn't work so well right mm-hmm. so when we you know i think like every pastor kids kind of goes through this this issue of oh you're so good at taking care of everybody else but what about the people in your family mm-hmm. and it kind of develops this you know a little bit of resentment and i had to talk to my mom to get to understand my dad better in order for me to empathize with him because he just couldn't talk about how he grew up I literally know nothing about how he grew up, except from what my mom tells me. Because he, he's incapable, it almost makes him feel uncomfortable, you know. And I don't know. It's like I, like that generation, to, like f- talking about their feelings, is just like impossible.
3: I don't think it's a skill that's taught or
2: you encouraged. Want to bring the mic a little closer to you, yeah.
3: Um,
2: you can I push it closer, yeah,
3: like that. There you go. Okay, um, yeah. I think we're just encouraged to be more just stoic and like pretend that it doesn't, nothing bothers you. Um, I think that's the virtue rather than talking about actually how you feel. I think I I do see the difference when I get like a millennial uh, clients, they are much more open um, about anything, even their sexuality and whatnot, but yeah, they can definitely talk about their feelings a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're, they're taught that it's okay to talk about feelings, right? It's okay to open up. It's okay to have, you know, different feelings and, issues and problems but i think back then no one that it was just like pretending right you um preserving some kind of image they have to um i guess portray to other people like yeah like i'm doing well i'm successful my family's great and my kids are you know going to a top school and we're we're being amazing and we don't talk about anything that doesn't (laughs) match that image that i'm trying to
2: you know that was, the, that was the thing, like with, with my parents, one of the hardest things for them to understand. And like, I think I was a very difficult child too. Like I didn't really fit the mold of like the typical Korean kid. So like I, I remember this conversation I had with my, parent, my mom and she goes, oh, and she used to say this consistently. But as I got older, I just got tired of hearing it. She goes, well, what about, what are these other people in the Korean community going to think? And I'm like, I don't give a fuck about them. <laughs> I was like, I could literally care less what they think. And I, and I told her, I was like, you know, at the end of the day, who do you care about more? You care about your kid? Or do you care about these people outside, you know? And but it's so hard for them to detach that that feeling of people watching them and then seeing every single move. Because my mom, because she's also the wife of she's a homonym, and so (laughs) there's a lot of pressures Uh, that come with that. But then my Hmm. mom also grew up like in the Shigor like Tolado area, so she's like she speaks very country slang bunking, you know? And so for her, she had to balance out this whole thing of like, why can't I be myself? It's because my husband's a a pastor, so I have to present myself. So she would work 80 hours a week at the business, but still on Sunday, she would have to create meals for the church. Mm -hmm. So she would work literally seven days a week all the time just to keep up appearances 24 seven. And I think that becomes ingrained in her for so long. Even after they left the church, she goes, what would these people think? And I'm who, who are these people? We don't even go to this church anymore but that's what they think about, you know? Yeah,
3: Yeah, it's sad that that comes first, but I I think that's maybe also the difference between community-based culture and then like, you know, very individualistic, like Western culture, right? They think about, I think, I mean, people think about how things affect us or what am I getting, you know, maybe even how I feel better than like how other people are going to feel. Like the Mm -hmm. whole thing about like wearing masks, you know, like in Korea, like there was probably no question asked, like, Wear a mask for everyone, <laughs> everyone else mm. and you. You just wear a mask. You don't question, right? Um, but here you have to think about, okay, like, is it good for me? Is, is it good for them? But what am I putting in my body? Yeah, it's understandable. But also at the same time, there isn't any as much as a consideration of like how it affects other people or how do I look? Or, But yeah, I think in Asian culture, there's definitely a lot more pressure to think about, yeah, how do I... Present myself to others, or how do I affect how does my action affect other
2: other people? do you feel that with like with your older Asian clients um, that that's a big reason why they don't want to come to therapy because of how it looks like to the public?
3: yeah, yeah, for sure I think um, I mean, I think part of it is that they i mean they don't even know what therapy is, you know, so they they don't think that it will work um, and then I think just in case um, someone finds out, right? Then mm-hmm. it's gonna ruin their reputation. And especially at church, you know, I think pastors actually offer help, right? Like they do um, mm. some counselings and stuff, um, but yeah, no one goes as far as I know, like, you know, because they're afraid <laughs> it's gonna get out somehow, right? So even then, like with religion, through religion, they don't, yeah, they're not really getting help either.
2: What are some of like the the bigger maybe reoccurring themes or issues that you see with a lot of like um like Asian Americans or or like even older Asian people that come through and uh, seek help with you?
3: I'll say shame. <laughs> oh
2: yeah, yeah yeah yeah. Yeah,
3: because I think that's kind of um the controlling method of like shaming people in especially Asian culture um to get people to do something or not do something, especially like, let's say, um, sex, right? Um, I was taught when I was in Korea, that sex is bad. Um, If you have sex with multiple people before you get married, you're a slut. Um, You don't want sex. Women don't masturbate. You know, you're just a bad person if you ever think about sex, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So of course, I felt really ashamed every time I thought about sex. And later I was so repressed. I didn't even think I needed sex or I want sex. Um, So I had to do therapy (laughs) for that. But um, let's say something simple as just like um, being a good student, right? If you're not a good student, there's a lot of shame that you bring upon your family, whole family, not just you, right? You're doing this to our family. If you, I don't know, get in trouble, it's all kind of like shame based. So I think that's what I deal with the most people feeling not good enough. Um, They don't get enough positive reinforcement or positive affirmation. So the only thing they get, they do get is negative um, reinforcement, right? So yeah, your identity like surrounds shame, shame that you've been accumulating, like all your life about everything.
2: Yeah, yeah, I I definitely probably felt that a lot too, you know, the idea of like that's the motivating factor is that you do this so you don't make us look bad versus you do this because it makes you happy or I was watching this uh this docu series and I mentioned this on the podcast before on Netflix where it was um they were basically The suicide rate in korea is extremely high Mm -hmm. you know i make a joke about this i'm like korea never loses we're number one so like we're like number one in suicide we beat japan which (laughs) oh my god i was shocked right because six seven years ago japan was the top yeah but then japan's like number seven or eight now oh my god and the korea is number one and so like i'm trying to figure out what what's going on over there right like what is it specifically in, in that culture? Because I don't know. I'm Korean-American, right? So I, I came here when I was like two or three years old. So I really don't know what's going on in Korea. And when I speak about the Korean experience, I speak about my Korean-American experience in a town called Sacramento. So it's very niche, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, one of the things that they brought up was um, they had a, a couple of students. And they basically asked them like, oh, what are your dreams? They go, I don't have dreams. I, I know what goals are. You know, I, I figured out what my goals are by the concept of a dream. I, I don't know. What is it? You mm-hmm. know, I don't know mm-hmm. what this is. Right. So I wonder if that's like, you know, made me think like, what is the emphasis of, of what do they emphasize what it is to live in Korea? Like, is it just simply to to knock off these these pillars in your life, like these goal marks? But when it comes to what you personally want, do you always have to push that aside in order for you to kind of uphold this image or, you know, get this amazing job. But they never really think about, OK, what makes me happy? And I think, like, you know, Korea, too, because of how, you know, after the war, how fast we rebounded, the emphasis on education was so important. Education is the key to freedom and wealth mm-hmm. and has always been like that. And I think that's why, to our credit, why Korea bounced back so hard after we were devastated after the war, mm-hmm. which is like a
0: sign of our resilience. You can host the best backyard barbecue.
1: in just a few taps because when it comes to getting the most out of your home you can do this when you Angie that download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com that's dot com.
2: this podcast is brought to you by Quip good health starts with good habits and Quip makes it easy by delivering all the oral care essentials you need to care for your dirty ass mouth. Listen, the Quip electric toothbrush is loved by over 7 million mouths. That 7 million mouths, my friend, more than your mom (laughs) time... Time Sonic Vibrations with 30-second pulses to guide a dentist-recommended 2-minute clean. Yes, my friends, reusable handles in a range of sleek metal hues, including best-selling all-black and all-pink, as well as bright plastic colors, sure to make a -a pop-a-pop to your bathroom counter. My Quip electric toothbrush looks dope. Every time somebody goes in my bathroom, they're like, oh, what's with that toothbrush? I'm like, it's my Quip, baby. Respect it. It looks better than your ugly-ass thing that you have on your sink counter sorry don't mean to disrespect but I love my quip now straight up real quick if you guys don't know with stylish and affordable electric buses starting at just $25 you won't be paying through the teeth for better oral health I'm talking about sexy and affordable what is that that's a David So guarantee if you go to getquip.com slash genius. Right now, you'll get your first refill for free. That's your first refill at getquip.com slash genius. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash genius. Quip, the good habits company. But then after that, when things are better, what are you left with? And these kids are like, oh, these, these promised jobs that we have, we're not getting them because there aren't enough jobs. Mm-hmm. So they're like, well, I studied my ass off. I went to all these cram schools and now I'm here and I don't have a job. What am I worth? You know,
3: Yeah, I mean, I think so it's been like about 20 years since I've lived in Korea or, or more. Um, when I was living there, I felt that um, I think when I visited too, it's still very materialistic and um, really based on achievement, right? Mm-hmm. So if you don't have the right phone, if you don't drive the right car, if you don't have the right stroller, you will be treated differently. You know, Mm -hmm. I know here, too, in L.A., like if you go to, like, maybe West L.A., you know, people will look at you kind of like, oh, what are you carrying? What kind of car you drive? But it's like that everywhere in Korea. Um, So again, you're ashamed, right, Um, if you can't afford the right phone. So you'll be bullied or, you know, whatnot. Um, So it's always, I think, about what what you look like or what um, you appear to be as or what you have, what you achieved. Uh, rather than thinking about like what is my like dream or um, passion, you know, goal in life, you know, do I have any purpose in life? I think it's just really like you're saying, um, meeting those like um, milestones in in life, like in, right, um, going to um, getting into the college, and then after that, oh, I have to go get my master's and then doctorate or whatever. But in the meantime, I'm accumulating all these wealth and. That's what I have to show for. And that's how you're, I guess, valued a lot of times. I mean, I'm not saying that that's like everything, but.
2: I mean, I definitely saw that like, <coughs> excuse me. Like even when I went to, um, we stopped off in, um, I think, Incheon, like the airport. And I was there like this.
1: I saw everybody at the airport
2: dressed up. I'm like, where are you going? It's like going, like you're going to be in the plane for 12 <laughs> hours. what do you, do you have your makeup on? You know, but it's the the I, I didn't know. And then Mariel had explained that to me. So, like, oh, you don't walk outside looking like the way you do. I'm like, Really? But I'm gonna be in a plane. So what is this? And then we took business class seats and I saw everybody, they were dressed up to the nines. I'm like, you're gonna be on a plane for damn near sixteen hours. Like be comfortable. But it's just I was the outsider, you know. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I think that there's there should be some balance between like being respectful to others where you're I don't know, present yourself in some ways that people think that that's what they're doing but sometimes yeah it's like overdressing and all that i think my mom always tells me whenever she sees me like why aren't you doing your hair i did my hair today but <laughs> like uh put some makeup on and it's not for her it's because you know she might have a guest or something and you know that i'm gonna show up as like whatever so she's she's afraid <laughs> you know
2: yeah that's that's interesting because like i maybe it's because. I think my household was my mom is so she's a tomboy, so like the only thing that she probably cared about was the my father's image in the church, mm-hmm. and then she didn't want to hear like the chanzori, so she's like just just do it because I don't want to hear this crap, right? Because my mom never really well at church she did you know she wore her makeup or whatever, but she's like the the other mother has like the fanny pack and the visor and the vest, so I think I never grew up with too much. Well, I'm also a boy, so I I don't know. I know um mariel i mean she's talked about on this podcast too where her mom like i've never because i don't have girls in my family so i don't know what it's like but it's where's your hat how come you're not wearing a hat you know how come your makeup you should wear something a little more girly yeah and even at the age she's like 30 and she still hears it it's like what what is this like what is this thing that you have to feel like you have to control your child even when they're an adult like i would even understand straight out of college or whatever but she's in her 30s like what is this like what is this idea that they feel like they always have to do this and in my mind i'm thinking that's stressful on you like that you have to constantly just helicopter parent over your child like 24 7 but i i i like i didn't know this because all my cousins are boys mm-hmm. i don't i don't i don't see this a lot but then when i saw it with her i was like oh this is this is stressful <laughs> you know
3: never stops yeah my mom would tell me like, well, I don't know if I can say this. I don't think she's going to watch this. Yeah. <laughs> She'll tell me, oh, you're getting fat or, you know, your face is getting rounder. You know, what are you doing? You should stop eating or something like that. And, and and it wasn't like malicious way. It was in loving way.
1: It's like it's <laughs> like As loving as you can be.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, But yeah, it hurts, right? And so, yeah, I think I really became paranoid about like gaining weight and, um, looking certain way and all that stuff.
2: Do you but feel like a lot of like, um, if you have um, a lot of Asian clients, like they do the, the girls feel there's a lot of the issues about their personal image?
3: Yeah, for sure. But I think um, a lot of times what I see more is you have to be perfect in every way. Mm-hmm. Like not only that you have to look like a model and, you know, really pretty, whatever, um, skinny, but you also have to be Like intellectual, you know, you have to be top of the class. You have to be a lawyer or doctor or whatever. You have to have, you have to be the whole package.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that, that pressure is so, I, and I also feel like a, a lot, a lot of like, uh, kids have to deal with that a lot. You know, it's like the, the idea. Well, I kept reading these memes, like maybe starting from like six or seven or eight years ago. It's, it's the idea of you can have it all. Right, you can be the the businesswoman. You could be the stay at home mom. You could do it all at one time, but that's not fair. It's also very unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Like, I th- I think the idea of it was empowerment, right? But it also made people feel inadequate at the same time when they don't reach these benchmarks. But is right. how fair is that? It's unfair. How, how how can you do this? Like, I don't I don't I, like I see my friends right now. They have kids, right? And sometimes I see them. They're trying to do it all, they, they, and I see, they're worn out. They're worn the fuck. I just hung out with my friends over the past weekend, and mm-hmm. like she's like, I'm tired. I'm, I was like, Yeah, I'm. I'm glad you said that because it looks like you're so well put together. But I look at what she does, and I'm like, I can't handle what you do. Like I look at you, and I start stressing out, <laughs> you know. But it does wear her out because trying to be this idea of the strong millennial woman mm-hmm. who has to have it all, and if not, then you're not this. You're 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 um you're backwards. Mm-hmm. Like you're such an old fashioned woman who who doesn't do all these things. But you know, balance is everything. Like there's a give and take in everything that you do, but nobody really like talks about that. It's always just the meme,
3: right? Yeah. So you have to be perfect. I think a lot of Asian Americans, especially um, women too, I think they're more like perfectionist, and that's what they struggle with the most. And now maybe their parents are not living with them, and so they don't get that external, you know, uh, pressure so much. But now it, it became their own voice. So now they're telling themselves like, "Oh, you're so stupid. You made that mistake." What happened to you? oh, you can't even do that, oh, you're supposed to juggling be juggling everything, and why aren't you doing it? you know so again, now you're shaming yourself, <laughs> right, so how do we get out of that? you know you're it's just really a vicious cycle, you know um because you are bound to make mistakes, but if you don't allow it, um there's no compassion, so shame and judgment you have to deal with that so there's a lot more I feel um the stress that's. Um, given to you like just from daily living and on top of that what you're adding is like you know you're torturing yourself by just going over all these mistakes all the time or what you're not doing what you're feeling um and then yeah it just keeps accumulating and one day a lot of times you know you'll have a like a panic attack or whatnot things start breaking yeah that's when you realize okay something has to change
2: i see a lot of um Like I think people around my age, or I say four or five years older, like these traditional like Korean dudes, they're so funny to me. Like when I look at them and they they like to put on this front that they don't they don't care about anything. Like mm-hmm. they don't have like all oh, these things don't affect me. But you know you could see it. Like it bothers them so much, and like they put on this front a lot. So I always wonder too. Like I've one of my one of my guy friends. He's like one of these like classically like I. When people talk about like toxic masculinity, like I don't even know what that means sometimes. Mm -hmm. But when I talk to this guy, I'm like, oh, that's what they're talking about.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) You know,
2: I'm like, Mm -hmm. you you have toxic masculinity. And, you know, I know this dude because we grew up together and he was like a young. But he talks just the way his dad does. And it's just this idea of like, it's even hard to put it into words sometimes, like the way he talks about things like... Like he makes jokes about like how big his dick is or also, you know, like these classic, like these cringy like guy moments, you know, and he's not like becoming this like socially awkward, like distant human being because he doesn't know how to interact with people normally outside of him talking to like his boy boys that only talk about quote unquote traditional male boy things. Mm. Right. Oh, um, like when a girl walks by, they talk about their tits and ask 24 seven, you know, they're like, damn, you're 40 now. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about guy? <laughs> like, relax. And you know, it's when I see that I like, I always wonder too. It's like, what would happen if he went to therapy? Like how much could he unpack? But like, and you know, you can't really force somebody to go into therapy. You can tell them like, Hey, you should try it out. Like Even me bringing it up to him, he's like, I don't need that shit. Like, I'm happy. I'm like, you know, that's not what everybody around you thinks, though, because you put off a very different vibe from how you are. Mm -hmm. So, like, for you, have you ever had to deal with, like, those type of, like, where they actually kind of reached a point where they came into you? And then how do you unpack that?
3: Um, So, I think it really depends. Some people come in at least because of certain event. They have some kind of insight into their own behavior so they'll say okay yeah you know what all this time i have no idea but this happened and now i feel like there's something there i want to explore sometimes they just come in thinking like okay there's nothing more i can do i i just need something so i'm here but i don't even know what therapy is i don't know if it's going to work and i don't even know you know (laughs) if you're good any good whatever um so they just give it a try but i think in those instances i think um they are not really open mm. to like feedback or suggestions or, you know, even really exploring their own, own thought patterns or uh, behavior they, because they know, they, they know everything. You know, I I'm good. Like I'm going to just keep living my life this way, but I just don't know why I have this issue.
2: You see, I always wonder like, how do you deal with that? Cause I I know somebody now who's, um, I kind of got him to go to therapy, but I, He's a very tricky case, right? Because I've known him since we were kids. So, like, he's been going to therapy now for like three or four months, right? But I see him progressively getting worse. And this is what I'm always curious about. So, how do you deal with somebody who's very good at saying the right answers, Mm. right? Because he's very good at that. So, I feel like for him, when he goes into these therapy sessions, like, he always tries to therapize somebody who's therapizing him, you know? Mm. So, he's he's thinking about what is the answer that I can say that'll make this person think that I'm becoming better versus him actually trying to explore being better. Mm -hmm. And I've seen him do it multiple times. And Mm -hmm. I always, I was very concerned, like, okay, he he wants to try therapy, he's going to give it a go. And just the things that he's saying, and I'm like, you're doing it again. Like, you're doing that thing where they're like, listening to what the therapist is saying. And then he goes, what's an answer that they want to hear that makes me feel like I'm smart? You know, like how do you deal with that? Because that's—I feel like that's like a lose-lose situation. How do you unlock this pattern? Cause that's you know, because I could hear it sometimes. Because like we'll be in the house, and he's—he has his like online thing is echoing. I hear it, and I'm like, yeah, he's doing that shit again. Like I know him, you know. Yeah. And so I'm like, how, how would you deal with that?
3: I don't think I had a case like that, but um, something similar would be when I used to work with um eating disorder population, um, there were um, adolescents and just talking about the whole perfectionist thing. They're, they're very perfectionistic and number one, you know, student in the class and whatnot, people pleaser. So they will approach the therapy exact same way. You know, they're like teacher's pet, right? So they want to please a the therapist. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm, I did like all these homework, the coping skills that you gave me, like I did all this, you know? So when you ask like, oh, how are you feeling? I'm good, I'm good. Okay, so like we talked to your dietitian, and, you know, we talked about this, blah, blah, blah. Oh, well, no, I'm still doing good. Yeah. So they, um, just tell you exactly what your friend is doing, like what you want to hear because they want to please you. They want to be this good patient <laughs> or client. Yeah. Right. So then you have to challenge them a little bit, right? Gently like, Hey, like, I feel like you're just telling me what I want to hear or, Hey, are you really doing good? Because I've, I heard that you cried the other day or I heard, you know, blah, 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 something happened. Um, then, you know, slowly, I think if you create that space for them, like you're safe, you can talk about your um, maybe struggles here, because I think most people, I don't know, for my clients, who are dealing with that issue, they didn't have the safety of talking about your, um, your issues, mm-hmm. you know, um, so you just feel like you have to, you know, um, yeah, I guess perform. You know, yeah. so when you let them know, I think, hey, you don't really have to do that. You know, you're accepted no matter what. And I'm here for you. I think they can slowly start changing, you know?
2: This podcast is brought to you by ShipStation. You guys know I've talked about ShipStation and the holidays are coming up. And if you're selling anything online, it's time to prepare for the busiest time of the year. If you're not using ShipStation, you are going to be stressed the fuck out. I'm telling you, managing inventory and juggling orders, you've got a lot going on this holiday season. Make shipping the easiest part of your day with ShipStation. I freaking love it it makes anything easy i hate shipping things especially when it comes to just like merch or products and if you got something that can automate it for me let me tell you something It's easy to import orders from any sales channel on this thing. You can automate just about any shipping task, spend less time sorting through orders, and more time doing what you do best, which is getting that great product out to your lovely, lovely friends, family, or customers, my friends. You have to get on this. It's never too early to start prepping for the holiday rush, so get a head start with ShipStation. My listeners can use my offer code GeniusBrain and get a 60-day free trial just in time for the holidays. That's two months of stress-free holiday shipping for free. Just go to ShipStation.com click on the microphone at the top and enter in genius brain ship station. make ship happen
3: um but it it really depends on I think it, people's like insight level as well, mm. willingness to change, but also insight level, even if you point something out, sometimes people just don't get it, yeah, yeah, and some people are more open, and so they they get it right away, and yeah, they put everything into practice and start changing.
2: Yeah, because like, it's always hard to, I mean, just in general, just talk to somebody who feels like they know everything. There's just no room for just, oh, I can learn something from this conversation. It's, it is so frustrating. It, yeah. You know what I mean? They like, never
3: last, those <laughs> types, yeah. They come yeah. in knowing everything. I'm like, why are you here?
1: Like, <laughs> like
3: yeah. But um, yeah, I had clients like that for sure. They'll do one session or two sessions they don't come back. Because they already know they're only coming to hear what they want to hear, and I'm not going to give it to them then they're like, okay, yeah, yeah you're no like, good. good yeah I, I just know what I'm doing already, yeah,
2: I mean that's so frustrating too it's like so there's there's a point too even for you with clientele it's like oh I that there's like you can't help them it's like it's just like you're you're kind of like doing your own thing at this point,
3: yeah it's sad, you know, and I think we do try as therapists different ways to approach that like when they when you can you, when you can tell that the other person has this guard up because they think they know everything but if you can get to where does that come from then I think we can really get somewhere with it like um why do you feel like you have to present yourself that way that you know everything right is it insecurity or does it stem from your childhood, right? Did your parents make you feel inadequate? So you present yourself that way. So if we can get there, I think we can, you know, uh, do some work. But if they're not willing to look at anything. So like, you know, if I see that, then I'll start asking questions so that we can get to those things. Um, but if they push me away, then, yeah, I can't I can't really do anything
2: about that. I think that's like the, I remember when I first went to therapy and then, <clears throat> the, the i think the hardest part was getting into that comfortable space where you can say things without feeling like you're going to be judged it's like stuff that like you you always think in your head but you've never told somebody else right cuz you you might have told some a version of it that wasn't 100% truthful right? <laughs> right but when you say it out loud it almost feels like for me anyways it feels like there's somebody else talking and i'm watching some somebody else say these words <laughs> you right. know and it's and it's so odd Like, one of the things that I could never say was, um, you hurt my feelings. I could never say that Mm. specifically to that girl out there. Uh. I couldn't say it. I would say it in a different way. You know what I mean? You're being (laughs) annoying. You know? like, why are you acting like this? But really, it's just, you hurt my feelings, you know? And I couldn't say these words. It made me feel weak. It Mm -hmm. made me feel very vulnerable. And I didn't like ah, that. Right, <laughs> it right, bothered me so right. mm-hmm. much. Even to this day, when I say you hurt my feelings, I could feel my, my like, it feels like my teeth are about to fall out.
3: Right. Because <laughs> you're admitting you have that much power to mm. hurt me. Right. So it, it is a vulnerable place yeah. to say something like that. Yeah. I'm giving you that power. Willing me. Right. To hurt me or please me or whatnot. So it's
2: hard to admit that. That is, is rough. Like it's one of the hardest things that I learned how to do because nothing else that I would say would effectively communicate how she would make me feel. So it's like if I told her you're annoying me, that's just going to piss her off. Yeah. You know, if I just tell her, hey, what you're saying hurt my feelings. She goes, oh, I'm hurting his feelings. You know, I just have to be OK with her just not having that knowledge, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, and it's just it's so disarming. You know, and that disarming thing where you don't feel like you have no shields, you have no weapons, makes you feel super weird. Like, I just hate that feeling at all. Because I, I don't think I would ever tell my guy friends that. Like, he says something right. that annoys me. i will be like, hey, bro, you hurt my feelings. <laughs> you know, like, I don't think I, I had that. But I feel, I felt like, okay, well, this is a woman that you're going to be married to. You should be able to say this out loud. Mm-hmm. And just that step was just like, ugh, I mean, my palms are sweating right now just thinking about it. Like, even when I, like I, I said to her like a, like a month or so ago and even then I was like, oh, just, she hurt my feelings. <laughs> but, you know, it took that one statement and she understood and then she apologized. Before, hey. it would be so roundabout. Yeah. Like, Why are you How doing this? How am I this?
3: unknowing you? Or-
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it would just cause a fight mm-hmm. when really it could have just been one simple solution of, oh, I understand mm-hmm. what emotion you're going through. Mm-hmm. And I think like that disarming part, especially for a lot of like, like Korean males, it just, it doesn't really happen. It's just mm-hmm. easier to call somebody mm-hmm. stupid, you know, and obnoxious rather than saying like right. what you said affected me this way.
3: Right. Well, it's easier to just blame the other person and saying like, oh, well, you always do this. You, hurt, um, you um, act crazy or you're just inconsiderate or whatnot versus like I'm hurting here. You know, I feel so sad. I feel so alone when you do this. So it's easy to hide behind anger and just some kind of um, criticism or an attack rather than you, excuse me, being really vulnerable with the other person and saying, Hey, it makes me feel this way. And I, I'm actually really hurting here. I need your help or I need, I need some affirmation here. I need your support. It's hard.
2: You, you you kind of touched upon like the kind of like sexuality and like a young, like, Asian American, like females, when I was at, you know, when you bring that up, I always think about like, church was such a weird thing. Like the experience of the Korean American church was so odd because of, like you mentioned the whole shame factor, right? And the idea of being a sexual human being, like a sexual person or an entity is just the hell are you thinking, you know? And these, some of these girls at church had to live two lives. At church, they were this holier-than-thou person. But out, out on the streets, like, people hear this stuff, right? And so they always had, like, this weird duality, you know? Mm-hmm. And a lot of these girls, too, and people always hear about this joke. It's like, oh, always get that Catholic girl because they're freaking the sheets. But that shit was true, like, because they had to repress it throughout their whole thing. That you know, I-, I told this one funny story where I-, I knew a church leader who she would have sex, right? And I remember we were hanging out. And this is after I got older, right? Uh-huh. And then she 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 didn't leave the church but she was graduated from the youth ministry and she was like you know people were talking openly we're having jokes or whatever whatnot and they're like, oh yeah like oh she doesn't have a virginity like, you're not a virgin she goes I'm still a virgin I was like you're not a, I know who you hooked up with all the time like your boyfriend at church. she's like, you guys hooked up all the time she goes no he didn't come inside me so I'm still a virgin oh my God and I'm like wait what what are you talking about right now? Where, where does this logic come from? Is this from the Bible? Like, where, where did you get this? You know, but there's this weird battle that they had to deal with all the time and excuse their perception of like, number one, being comfortable with themselves, their body or something. But a lot of the girls that I dated that went to a church, they had to deal with that. And I had to deal with it because mm-hmm. I didn't know how to be around them. And as a young boy, I'm not comfortable with my sexuality. So, I, you know, it was just really hard to navigate, you know?
3: Yeah. And I have not only Asian clients but um I guess they're if they're really religious they go I guess figure out a way to go around it. So just like re- what you're saying, they do oral sex, manual sex, whatever, everything else, but they just don't do genital <laughs> sex, yeah. right? And they're like, "Oh, yeah, we are virgin."
2: That's hilarious to me.
3: Yeah. It's it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's how they well, because you have to I guess reconcile with the idea of being a good person, right, um, it, from the religious values and you know, things that you want with your boyfriend or girlfriend, right? So how to like make it okay. Mm. So I think you talked one, in one of those um, episodes, uh, rationalizing, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, when, when there is um, cognitive dissonance like that, I think we've just find a way to make it fit.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. It's like there was this thing where we saw somebody put this out on on TikTok, but I didn't know about this. But there's like this Mormon thing called soaking, where they literally the guy takes his penis, he inserts into the vagina, and he just lays there. As long as he's not thrusting, it's not sex. <laughs> like this is a real thing. So I texted one of my friends uh, who grew up Mormon. He doesn't really practice. I was like, I just texted him one word. I said soaking. He goes. <laughs> and he writes lol he goes how do you know about this i was like i was like this is real this is some real stuff he goes dude i used to soak all the time because i felt like i was gonna go to hell so i would just stick it in and we would just cuddle it's like a real thing it's the funniest thing ever Mm -hmm. but it's just like it's it's yeah that whole church experience about like kind of how they made you feel about your body and like obviously like sex before marriage and if you don't believe in sex before marriage it's fine Mm -hmm. too like You know whatever floats your boat, you know. But I think like the idea that sex makes you into a bad person kind of fucked up a lot of my friends.
3: Right, and and there's guilt, right? You feel guilty all the time while you're having sex, or if when you're thinking about sex. So you're living in hell, right? Really? (laughs) Yeah. Um. But yeah, I going back to like what we were talking about earlier. I had a lot of Asian clients who had family members who like committed suicide, um, and they, sometimes they knew, they, they saw the signs, sometimes they didn't see it at all. And I think people just kind of miss out on everything. Um, I think people don't even know what depression look like, right? Um, what does the depression look like? Oh, like when they're telling you, like, oh, I wanna kill myself, yeah, that, that's depression. No, it, it can look very different, right? Uh, it can look like just they're in bad mood, for days and days and days and not really have a real crisis right um but yeah after like years of that maybe they will get there to the point like i'm gonna kill myself but um i think people don't know even if what they see is like serious what do we do with that oh we're not gonna put him in like psych you know hospital so just let him let him stay home and like maybe w- what time he'll get better That's how things happen because, you know, no one's informed, like, what mental health is and what you do, where the resources.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's so hard to approach. Like, I think, like, you know, what we mentioned before with, um, like, I've I've known somebody who've, their family has, they're just in complete denial. You know, everybody else sees it but them because they, it's like the, like, ADHD. Like, you tell somebody like their kid has ADHD they go my kid's not dumb <laughs> like nobody told said your kid's dumb yeah. but there's a different way to deal with your kid because he's hyperactive or he can he can't focus yeah. um and dealing with that especially like for me when I was a youth minister and you know sometimes with these kids and you know they would ask like you know, kids would act up or whatever and I'm like hey there's something off you know not mentally with them personally per se but like something happened in school or something it's like no there's nothing wrong with my kid like immediately First thing they say off the jump, right? Mm-hmm. And they completely, ignore it, and they get mad at me. And I'm like, listen, I'm trying to help your kid out. Like, I'm with him more than you are. You know, I have conversations mm-hmm. with these kids and they tell me stuff that they they don't tell their parents. But the moment you bring it up to them, it's like, hey, maybe we should help your kid out with this situation. Because, like, for example, <clears throat> there was a kid who was hooked on um, OxyContin.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, this this kid was just stealing stuff from his family members. Um just to pay to get some pills because those pills are expensive. The high doesn't last very long, super quick. And I brought it up to them. I was like, hey, so for this kid robbed his cousin
1: mm-hmm.
2: and s- took all of his games, placed or whatever, stole that stuff, sold it just for some pills. I knew about this. <clears throat> so I talked to them and I'm like, hey, he has uh, a problem. He has a drug addict, he's a he's a drug addict, and he's he goes, he's fine. It's the first thing they said to me. And I'm like, What do you mean he's fine? Like he's not fine, like he's he goes like no like there's stuff that you don't know about like he you know his friends got him to do it like i'm like what do we do here you know like how how do i how do i get this this family to understand like hey your kid needs help mm-hmm. and that's like even something small like that even when all the evidence is laid out before them they take it and they sweep it under the rug yeah. and i've had to deal with that multiple times whether it was them their kids having Anger issues, whether it was kids, like, I'm not sure if these kids were depressed, but they would just be, you know, slumped. I don't know what happened in their day, but you would ask their parents about it and say, and they would just be like, you're wrong. Right. And they would ignore it. And you see these kids get progressively worse and worse and worse. And
3: So yeah, you're you're ashamed, but also I think you have to deal with that guilt of like, is it something I did? Right. But mm-hmm. if you admit it at that point, now you have to take responsibility, right? And you're not ready to do that you're not going to therapy, <laughs> right? Mm. So you just push it away. No, it's not here. I don't see it.
2: Yeah, that personal responsibility the property thing is like what messes them up the most, right? It might be a, like an inner thing of like, if I, if, you, if I recognize that this thing is wrong with my kid, I played ahead of that as his parents. Right. And it makes them feel bad.
3: Right. And then they have like all kinds of unresolved, you know, personal trauma or whatever already. So they can't add another thing on the top, you know, at, on, on top of it, right? Because they're... They're not doing anything with it, right? So it's yeah. just being accumulated. Um, but yeah, like I think you make a really good point about addiction. People find ways to deal with whatever they're dealing with if you're not in therapy. Um, so addiction is one of the ways to cope, right? Numb, numb whatever you're feeling. I don't want to be here. Because when I'm here, really here and now, it's so painful. So I have to go away, right? Disappear. I have to check out. So... Whatever the addiction is, it's a way of checking out, right? Whether that's drug addiction, um, gambling, game, sex addiction. So you learn to just cope by numbing yourself and you don't feel anything
2: my lovely genius brain farts this podcast is brought to you by fume ever tried to break a bad habit and felt like you're climbing everest and flip-flops yeah we've been there too but here's a breath of fresh air fume it's not about giving up it's about switching up baby fume takes your habit and simply makes it better healthier and a whole lot more enjoyable what is fume you ask fume is an innovative award-winning flavored air device that does just that instead of vapor fume uses flavored air instead of electronics fume is completely natural and instead of harmful chemicals fume uses delicious flavors you get it instead of bad fume is good it's a habit you're free to enjoy that makes replacing your bad habit easy. I keep one in my car just because I'm a fidgety guy. And guess what? I'd be puffing on that delicious herbal tea vapor, my friends. Nothing bad for you in there. And definitely, definitely fun to use. My friends, start the year off right with the good habit by going to tryfume.com slash genius and getting the journey packed today. Fume is giving listeners of the show 10% off when they use my code genius to help make starting the good habit that much easier. Easier. Start the good habit at trifume.com slash genius to save ten percent off the journey pack today. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? You know, my friends, I have been sponsored by BetterHelp because I love them. And the fact that other people have used them by listening to this podcast makes me so freaking happy because you are focusing on your mental health. And if you're wondering how easy the communication is, you can communicate in under 48 hours. And no, it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. Listen, if you are not comfortable meeting people face-to-face, do it through BetterHelp. It's a great way to get you started. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed if the first one you start doesn't match up with you. And by the way, it's affordable than traditional, actually more affordable than traditional online therapy because, my friends, there is financial aid available for you. So visit betterhelp.com slash genius. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Uh, special offer for Genius Brain listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash genius. I feel like that's what a lot of people just have to deal with. the Like, the moment you recognize it, the, the work that comes after scares yeah. them. Because... Mm-hmm. I feel like as a therapist, like you know, when I when I spoke to their when my, my first therapist, they unlocked something. I was scared to go further. Yeah, because I'm like, what else right. are you gonna find out about me that <laughs> I don't want to deal with?
1: You <laughs> right, know? Right. It's
2: like, oh, you you uncovered something, and then now I have to deal with this. And they go, okay, let's go deeper. I'm like, hold on a second, I I can't. You know, I'm just dealing with this right now, right. and it's scary. It, mm-hmm. It's frightening. You know,
3: yeah, and that's why, like, having an insight and making a change, a real change, is a completely different thing. It can be scary or also, you know, it's because it's a lot of work, you know, it takes time and whatnot. But um, even if you have the insight of, okay, yeah, this is how I've been living my life and that's not what I want. i want to do things differently. It's just hard to do, you know, hard to take on like, okay, so then what, what do I need to do? Oh, well, I realized that I got a job right of, um, uh, after college as a lawyer because that's what my mom wanted. I hate it. Yeah. What am I gonna do? Quit? And what? I have to start all over again? I'm not ready to do that. So I can't make that change. Yeah. Right? Or if you realize you mirror someone who you weren't in love with and you know, you're not happy. Are you gonna leave? No, I can't leave. No one in my family got divorced. No, I can't bring that to my family, that kind of shame. Mm-hmm. So you don't.
2: I mean for you because you never uh like therapy wasn't like a, an option on the table when you were younger. What made you want to go be a, be a therapist?
3: Um, yeah, I think I just always liked psychology, and um, I, I took kind of a weird path um, career-wise, but I went to art school, and I did, worked in design, car design industry for a while, and I knew. Actually, it took me 10 years to realize that I was unhappy, <laughs> so unhappy, so depressed that I needed a change. Um, so I just kind of started exploring and I found that there is something called art therapy. I'm like, oh, what is that? You know, that sounds kind of cool because I have our art background. And then I found a program, LMU, Loyola. Um, they offered marriage and family therapy program and art therapy, clinical art therapy, too. So I thought, oh, yeah, you know what? I always like psychology. Let me take some courses and see if I still like it. And I did. So I just started the school. but um i think it i always had that in me um wanting to figure things out i was always fascinated by people i always had people come talk to me so i think a lot of therapists already play that role before they become a therapist mm-hmm. in their community they were already a counselor wh- whether that's in your family or your, uh, in your friends group or whatever so i think i was already doing that too so i was pretty you know familiar with it like talking about feelings you know and Telling people like, "Yeah, you're going to be okay," <laughs> you know.
2: Does like it that. ever like personally like wear you out? Because I always wonder for therapists like how you guys deal with it. Because um, I it stresses me the fuck out. <laughs> like uh, I it got to a point where I think specifically during pandemic, a lot of people, you know. And every now and then, I tend to be the advice person. Mm-hmm. I'm very careful with the things that I say because I don't want to say things that. I'm more I'm more like to listen than give advice, right? Yeah. And just like, oh, like, is that how you feel? And then just have them talk it out because I feel most people kind of have the general tools. If they're fairly intelligent and emotionally intelligent, they can kind of figure it out for themselves. But after a while, like, it started wearing me out. And I'm yeah. like, I don't want to talk to none of y'all anymore. Because <laughs> you know yeah. I, mean? I started losing my mind, yeah. you know, because I, I started, I don't know what it is. Like, maybe I'm absorbing their crap and then it's like making me feel a certain way. And I got to a point where even Mary, I was like, I don't want to hear about anybody's stuff. Like, everybody just leave me alone. Like, I'm going to just go on these long walks and I'm going to assess how I feel because I can't – because, you know, I call these people too. Like, I call them like the – they use me as their like emotional tampon. Like, I absorb everything, you know. And I had to figure out too where certain people who – It's this idea of friendship, right, where I'm like, oh, I'm not sure if we're exactly friends because I think you just use me to – (laughs) <laughs> dump all your emotions and then you fuck up my life and then you walk away you know right and i'm like oh i, I don't think this is a friendship like it's not very reciprocal Higher therapist yeah. yeah i'm like you're using me as like this cheap therapist it's like and i have no tools to help you out so i just walk away wrecked yeah you know and they come back with the same issues over and over just to dump it on me so like for you as a therapist like how do, how do you cope with like your emotions then so um i
3: think Most of us, a lot of us, go to our own own therapy. Um, I've been in it for several years, too. Um, And we have consultations, group consultations, where we can talk about specific topic or just processing group, too. We can do that. I do talk to my therapist friends. That's like free therapy. (laughs) So I I do that, too. Um, But I think over the years, you kind of learn your limit and you have to set your own boundaries around it. So, for instance, like, when I was working with kids, I really suffered because the kids, you know, get abused at home. So like, mm. they're okay. They're great. Like, well, they're with you. Um, and parents are like, fix my child. Right. And, but they're actually being abused at home. So you know, that after therapy they have to go home. Right. And you know, what's, what happens at home. So it just breaks your heart, you know? So I did realize this is not something I can handle every day because I, I take it home. Yeah. You know. Um so I knew that I I can't, I couldn't work with um kids. And um there are other things too. Um also like severe trauma, you know, I I tend to absorb a lot more. So I I don't do that. I'm mainly um attachment therapist. So I do a lot of um couples and individual relationship work. Um I do some trauma as well, but not in depth because I know that I'll be too affected. So that's what I do kind of try to, um, know my limit and, you know, set my own boundaries. But also I know that other therapists too, you have to learn how to not, I guess, um, yeah, absorb everything, you know, um, we learn like we, 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 there's a phrase like leave everything like, at, um, at the office. Right. Yeah. And so, whatever you heard or whatnot, you don't bring it. Sometimes people literally like leave their notes or <laughs> whatever it is at work. So they don't really take it home.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I feel like as a therapist, you have to be pretty empathetic. And when you're like an empath, having to carry that weight with you all the time is, is so hard. It is. Like, it's like, I can't, like, the moment I got into a serious relationship, like, all my friends who are close, like, female friends, like, they would, you know, they, they're a lot more emotional they could talk about the problems i i was like hey guys i only got enough space for this girl now like she's already a handful so i i don't i don't yeah. like it's not that i cared less it's just i couldn't handle it you know
3: right. yeah there there are um sessions or clients who make us feel like wow like you went through so much and i feel kind of drained after because there were so many like abuse history or whatever but there are um a lot of other sessions other clients maybe even though that's what they went through when they're able to make change or whatnot, you feel really rejuvenated <laughs> and, yeah. and happy. Um, I think it's both sometimes. Yeah. It does happen to us, but just because we're listening to people like suffering or complaining or whatnot, that, that doesn't always mean like we're going to feel bad sometimes because we're able to help them. We feel good.
2: Mm-hmm. You know? So you yeah. get a little bit of both every now and then. Yeah. That makes sense. I'll say. Yeah. I, I didn't get much of that, but yeah. <laughs> I got a lot of like, oh, yeah. this is this shit is it, fucking exhausting, yeah. right? Yeah.
3: For me, especially like because I work with couples more. When I know that they came in like thinking, okay, this is the last resort, yeah, we're gonna split after this if if this doesn't work, right? And then when I know that they stayed because of therapy, because they made so many progress, so much progress, then yeah, it makes me feel really good, right? That I helped someone and that i'm doing something meaningful in my life
2: i think one of the cool things too that therapy does is like allowing somebody to kind of uh kind of look at themselves right because it's you know we talked about how easy it is to to blame somebody else and i think like for a majority of my life that's what i was doing it's like oh i'm angry because this person did mm-hmm. this to me right but when you when i took a step back it's like oh i kind of grew up in a very violent household <laughs> you know so Generally, everything makes me angry. Like, mm-hmm. the first way that we would solve our problems is to break things in the house, punch things, fight, scream. Like, even when I was a kid, like, I used to grow up, um, I remember when this kid um, stole my shit. I forgot what it was. It was like, so when you go to, like, these um, flea markets, you to get these, like, glitter sticks. And this kid stole it from me. I came back home, and my dad was like, where's the shit that I got you? And I'm like, oh, the kid stole it. He goes, cool. Well, closes the door. He goes you'll be able to come back home when you get it back. <laughs> and he goes, okay. So I had to go back I get into a fight with this kid. Like we got into a fist fight. I grabbed my shit, came back and then he was like, cool, come back in, have some dinner. Wow. <laughs> you know, so our ways of solutions, you know, I'll be for my dad too. He just didn't want me to get bullied, you know, and mm-hmm. there was a two thing. there was a good thing that happened with that. It's like after that, I never got bullied. But at the same time, I just learned to solve things by violence. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, if I want to get my way around, I gotta beat the shit out of people just okay. so they respect me. And it and it caused this thing of like, oh, when I'm angry, I can break things, I can smash things, I can, you know, punch holes in walls and whatever. And this is how you get get rid of your anger. And like the idea of thinking about why you're angry wasn't something that I ever did, nor did I want to do. I didn't have the tools, you know. So it's like, I think like I see that a lot. So I saw this. Uh, I'll show you after this podcast. But I have a friend. <laughs> I don't know if it's PTSD or it's comforting at the same time. It's weird. So she showed me this clip. And she had a, at a shikdang and she's like, he's eating, but he just stands up and out of nowhere starts screaming at his friend, right in the middle of the restaurant. Mm. He's like, he just stands. He goes, I get the like, this is who I am, you know? And he's like, telling him to step outside, let's go fight or whatever. And I'm like, why does this 70 year old man, you know, Think that this is appropriate at a restaurant to take like the shot glass, smash it in the middle of the restaurant, chuck these beer bottles, and he's just sitting here thinking that it's acceptable, you know? And I looked at that. I'm like, why is this? And it's a little too familiar. Like I look at it. I'm like, oh, that's just a Korean guy. I'm like, well, no, that's not okay. You know, that's not okay. But when I look at it, I'm like, oh, it's just a a Korean guy being a Korean guy. But, you know, those behaviors aren't acceptable. But because I grew up around it, Mm -hmm. I'm like rationalizing it as like, he's Korean. It's fine. Right. You know
3: and that's actually quite um common i think in in men in general um men are not encouraged to talk about feelings cry men can cry boys don't cry right so only emotion that's acceptable is anger right you can't be vulnerable right because you can't be weak you can't tell anyone that you're sad you can't tell anyone you're depressed you can't tell anyone that you feel lonely only thing you can do is b- being angry, right? So that's what you do. Underneath that anger, there could be so many different deeper emotion, but only thing that people see is anger. So people say, oh, yeah, they have, that person have anger issue. Well, maybe they're really depressed, or maybe they have certain issues that they haven't been able to deal with, right? Um, so I think it's, it's really difficult for men to come to terms with that like later, well, this is just how I am. I, I, nothing bothers me. Okay, so we have to really sit down and explore. Okay, like when you feel angry, what are you thinking? Oh, yeah, I'm thinking like this person's, you know, not respecting me. What does that mean? You know, that means like I'm not worthy. Oh, do you think about that a lot? Yeah, yeah. Where does that come from? Like, oh yeah, my, my mom said like I was worthless all the time or whatever, right? But that takes time. They're not going to let their guard down like, like that, yeah, right? Yeah, I
0: yeah.
3: have to build a rapport and we have to talk about a lot of things and before. But anyway, I think it's a lot harder for men to get there because you're not supposed to. You're being sissy if you talk about your, yeah, yeah, your feelings, yeah. right? Whereas women we have freedom to <laughs> talk about how mad or how sad how whatever we are um it's just accepted so it's it's a little bit easier for yeah. women
2: yeah. when i looked at that video i was like i wonder what would have happened if you would just would have said you hurt my feelings <laughs> Like, whatever if he would have just said that. But there's absolutely no way that, I, that I, she was going to say that. Yeah. The first thing he did was take a little shot glass, smash it on the floor, tells him, let's go take this outside. Let's go mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, what happened here? You know what? Like, I'm surprised he's not dead already from like, a heart attack. Just like you could see that rage, you know. And it's funny, too. The funniest part of that video, too, was <laughs> when there was a younger Korean guy that walked up to him. And he's telling him to leave. He's, he can see me, the big Korean guy. He walks up to me, looks at me, goes, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, now that it's not a female waitress, there's like a bigger guy coming around. Suddenly you calm down. Uh, but it's like that macho thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just, it's just so sad to see.
3: Right. And then people think that, oh, well, I was just really overwhelmed with, with the anger or, you know, that person said this. And so it's justified. It's never justified, right? Your action is your own action. No one made you do anything. Right? You can take many different choices, but you made that choice of being angry and smashing that <laughs> shot glass. You could have said, oh, you hurt my feelings. Or you could have just walked away. right? So I think that's the thing. Like, they have to also come to terms with that. Okay, hey, no one's making me actually do anything. No one's causing me to be angry. They are doing these things or these things are happening, but I'm still in control over my how i experience things. I can get mad or i, I don't have to get mad.
2: That's so hard. Yep. <laughs> that that is probably the hardest thing to do. Cuz especially when like you're in the heat of the moment and your emotions are flaring, it's like this person made me do this. Like what other choices did i have? It's right. like well, you had a exactly. Lot of choices.
3: <laughs> exactly.
2: Yeah.
3: It's really hard to do, but i think what helps me and some of my other clients is i always remind them like My goal of life is not suffer, to not suffer, right? So to reduce suffering, what am I gonna do in that moment? I'm not only reducing everyone else's suffering, right? That's like a byproduct, but how do I not suffer here? Mm. Me getting my blood pressure really high, anxious, angry, whatever it is, you know, it's not worth it, why? Something bad already happened to me and I add more suffering on top of it just because I'm reacting to it in a negative way, right? Um, thinking, oh, it shouldn't have happened. You know, this person's a jerk. All of that just adds more suffering onto me. That's right? the
2: idea of with drinking poison, praying for somebody else to die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: exactly. Yeah. Like, so am I going to, like, so you have a choice at in, in that moment if you're able to stop, which is really hard to do too. If you're able to stop and you can think about, okay, so should I do this? Should I do that? Someone just yelled at me. Should I yell at them back? And suffer another 15, 30 minutes arguing with them, or just walk away and address it maybe later when they're calm.
2: Yeah. I we were also talking about um well, I didn't know about this. Where, you know, I went to this whole deep dive just reading all the stuff that you sent me about people with BPD borderline personality disorder. Yeah. And I started getting anxious <laughs> reading the stuff, you know, just because of like I haven't met Too many people like that, but just one person in particular, right? Where they Mm. kind of like checked all the boxes and it helped me understand why I couldn't effectively communicate with this person ever, you know, and literally only one person I've ever met like that in my whole life. And, you know, when we were talking about it, it was like, how the fuck does a, how would a therapist help a person like this? It's, I, I don't even know where to begin. Like somebody who has zero sense of personal responsibility. Like, zero. Not, not even any. Like, everything that happens in their life is, is because of that. And it's never this way. There's never a mirror in front of right. their face. How do you help somebody like that? How?
3: Well, if I think what you're saying applies to other personality disorders, too, like mm. nar- narcissism. Yeah. Um, narcissistic personality disorder. But um, for BPD, borderline personality disorder, we have a specialized treatment for it, just because it's so hard to treat. Because they do lack insight and they have really high, um, what do you call, um, they get activated very easily, right? So there's something called DBT, Dialectical Behavior Therapy, and uh, uh, someone just designed that program to help the borderlines, right? People with borderline personality disorder. And so, what you do is you do individual therapy, like a few, maybe twice or um, something like that, a week. And then you have group, and you can call your therapist and um, check in. It's really intense, intense program. And I think once you start that, I think there's hope, and people. I've seen people change, but to get there is really difficult. Like you're saying, if you never think that anything is your fault you're not going to seek therapy so unfortunately they don't end up in therapy much so it's like other people around them end up being in therapy because they're suffering because this person is causing havoc right in their yeah. lives
2: and they don't get help a lot of times it's 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 like I can't remember all of it now because I, I remember I just read it all like throughout the night. I just like binged it. <laughs> like I was reading all these things. If so, definitively, what is borderline personality disorder, and what are the the, the markers for it?
3: Um. So, the main thing about borderline personality disorder is um, they are sensitive to rejection, any type of like perceived rejection. So. You're just talking and you told them like, oh, yeah, you know what, like that skirt that you're wearing, like, yeah, that was like, OK, but like not not the best you been, you were so far or something like that's very, you know, not benign comment. They can get really upset and go off on you right there. Right. Because they have experienced severe rejection before in their life. So it's mainly um, from their caregivers. Maybe they didn't feel loved or um, didn't have a good relationship or maybe their parents left and you know, they had to, I don't know, uh, raised by a single parent or something like that. Whatever it was, if, if they felt severe pain uh, from rejection, um, that that's how they are, hypersensitive to any type of criticism. So even if it's not a criticism, they can take it that mm. way and then go off. Yeah, so there is hypersensitivity. Um, and then also you'll see that, um, uh, God, I'm forgetting the words, like, The anger outbursts, right? Um, Pretty common. Um, Another thing is they have poor boundaries. So they might be one of those people like who you just met. Like, oh my God, David, like, I love you. Like, you're so cool. Let's be best friends. And then they come over. They like start calling you and like text you all the time or whatever. Um, Just instant, right? Um, With... Yeah, I guess like with a therapist and um, client relationship too, they do that too, (laughs) to us. You're the most amazing therapist I ever met, you know, and they start emailing you all the time. Like I have this, this happened. We can't do that. We can do therapy via email. They keep doing it. So they push your boundaries. That's another thing, right? So you don't feel quite comfortable, but because they're pushing it all the time, you feel like, okay, like, okay, maybe you can come over. Oh, maybe just just one this one email. Like, mm-hmm. okay, right? But if you do one thing wrong, in their mind wrong, right? Um, let's say I replied that email a little bit, I don't know, three hours later than one hour later. I'm the worst therapist ever, you know, the worst human being ever, and all kinds of, you know, I don't know, accusation language, <laughs> you know, you can possibly imagine. And then the next day, like, oh, I'm sorry that I did that. And everything's forgotten.
2: Those type of things, like, <clears throat> scare the hell out of me. It's like I, I've never been able to put into words. Maybe the reason why I don't deal with this a lot is because I've never... I, I call people who fuck on the first date. I don't like people who fuck on the first date. Like, when I meet you and you tell me everything about you. It always put me at any Since I was younger, I hated it. I hate it so much. Yeah, It's like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> like, right. I don't know you like that. You shouldn't yeah. be telling me this stuff, mm-hmm. you right. know? And... I think that's probably one of the bigger reasons why I've been able to avoid it for so long is because that was one of the first tell signs of like I don't trust you cuz mm-hmm. there's absolutely no way you should be giving me this type of sensitive information when we let met 5 minutes ago. Yeah. This is something odd. And I've always avoided it until, you know, recently like this person who kind of became into my circle was through other people and there was one person who was managing the 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 issues that they were having and then when that person made that one mistake, villain, you know? Trying to tear this person down I'm like who is this But I didn't know who this person was And so after that This person tried to latch themselves Into different parts of the group mm-hmm. And then when it came to me I was like this is weird You know I don't know who this is And the reason why Was because I never had to deal with it mm-hmm. Because that person Who was that person's hero mm-hmm. Who they were just unloading All this stuff onto They were managing it For mm-hmm. X amount of years forever, how long And when it all came crashing down They had to latch onto somebody else So lo and behold Went to every single person And now none of us Talk to this person anymore that like we all just like, oh, this is crazy. And I had no idea. I was like, what is, like I've never dealt with somebody like this before and I couldn't figure out why because I've always been very good about that sp- specific char- character trait. I hate it, right? Yeah. I think it's just because maybe where I grew up, it's like you, you, or how we grew up, it's like you don't ever let people know the stuff about you like that. You have to be very chill. Like I didn't grow up in a very nice area. So the things that people know about you is only stuff that you let them know, mm-hmm. right? And then you're really close, close friends. You tell them, everything because you trust them with your life right. but this person would i would know about their tr- past mm-hmm. trauma their relationships like stuff that happened to them as a child mm-hmm. and like in a two-hour conversation i'm like whoa, 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 what is this like why why do i know this stuff about you and then lo and behold it just all started to unravel yeah
3: it's it's really sad but you can probably see that that's a pattern for them and they don't have any long lasting relationships because they can't keep any. Because something like that happens, something someone that disappoints them, then they cut them out, or they, you know, they, yeah, get super angry, um, whatever it is, you know, or they start, <laughs> yeah, bashing, bashing you or what what you did or whatever. Um, very vengeful can be.
2: Um, yeah, the, the 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 vengeful thing was the thing that shocks me the most. It's like. Like you, what is wrong with you? Like I don't even know how to like I, I've just never met people like this. Yeah. So the the idea that like my my thing was like, why do you think about me so much? You know, like
3: right.
2: like every action that I make is is this person plotting against me? Right. What are they? It's like
3: they're always the victim. Yeah. yeah
2: so like I got scared. I was like, should I just not? I had to literally cut this person out completely. Right. Like you can't see any of my social media or anything because. I can do like a post about me having, I don't know, seafood and Mm -hmm. then it'll be like, oh, you know, I hate seafood. So that's why you posted that seafood picture. Right. It's like, what is this?
3: (laughs) So, you know, that's why even therapists, like you have to be specialized in it to Mm -hmm. deal with something like that, you know, but as a therapist, you know, we're trained to have compassion and, you know, try to understand where all that is coming from. Right. And we know that, no one who like experienced severe pain is going to turn out like that. You know, so we know that they've been suffering and they're still suffering a lot. Right. Um, um God, I can't remember the name names of the person, uh, Lanahan. Um, She is who developed the DBT that uh, the treatment and she compares borderline personality disorders, um, people with borderline personality disorders as like a burn victim. So, mm. Your skin's still raw. It's not like stressed or anything, you know, and that's how you walk around every single day. That's how sensitive, hypersensitive you are. And so you're always watching out for like some kind of clue, some kind of sign that people are planning against you or they're hurting you or they're doing something to you. So, you know, you can imagine how painful that life is. You know, it's it's, it's so sad that they have to go through that every single day. But because they lack insight, because they don't get help a lot of times, that's kind of like a. You know, life pattern, you know, they um, get really close to new people, you know, and then they're okay for a little while. And then when, once that one per- new person makes a mistake, they're gone. Like, No, I can't deal with you. And they, they keep repeating. So they don't have any long-term true friendship. Yeah,
2: that's like, um, I don't know, a lot of people didn't like this years ago. Like I used to say in the podcast, it's like, I rarely develop long-term bonds with somebody who doesn't have any friends. And it's a big sign for me. It's like, there's a reason. It can't be everybody's an asshole. That's, there's no way like there's absolutely no way everybody is an asshole and what i found out you know younger where my, my dad used to tell me this too but you know when you're rebellious as a kid anything he says is just whatever you know he's like people don't have friends like you have to look at who this person is and i'm like Dude, dad you're supposed to be a pastor what happened to this loving man but he was just giving me these warning signs and i had to find out the hard way it's like oh there's a reason why they don't have any friends you know, there's a reason why these people just they come in and out of people's lives twenty-four-seven. They can't create long and strong bonds. Mm-hmm. Like for example, with this person, after, you know, we all just up and left because of what this person was doing. Next thing you know, I hear through the grapevine throughout some of our other friends who are still friends with this person that, oh, like they started hanging out with um like their siblings. And mind you, because I know everything about them, they would say terrible stuff about them you know haven't talked to them in years and they reconnect and it's like telling me like in their like instagram feed post it's like here with my day ones for life it's like you didn't you haven't talked to them in like years you know but it's almost like it, it almost felt like they were trying to show us like i'm still good right you know and i'm like i don't even follow you anymore <laughs> i had to hear it through somebody else because they they didn't they didn't know what was going on mm-hmm. and they're like this person's acting a little weird like this person started hanging out with their mom again, and the mom was terrible to her. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. and it was just like, what do, what what do we do here at this point? And so then I'm like, okay. And I, in the back of my mind too, I'm, I'm thinking like, I want to mend this friendship because we grew up together. So it's like, I want to mend this friendship, but I think I'm just only holding on to it because of time because of the amount of time I put into this person rather than looking at who this person is. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at friendship as, a, as, a, as an investment factor. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I invested so much time with this person, maybe I should hang out with them a little more, but it's like, it doesn't matter. Like, how does this person make me feel? You know, what is this relationship like? And I think as we get older, I started really, my threshold for bullshit is so much smaller. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's so curt. I'm, I'm surprised, like, how short it is, you know? Yeah.
3: And I think probably... You've learned to prioritize your happiness and your mental health and all that first before, Mm. like, thinking about, okay, yeah, like, let me be just understanding and, you know, like, they're good people, like, they keep making mistakes. I need to, you know, I need to help them.
2: Well, that wraps (laughs) up this episode of the Genius Brain (laughs) Podcast. Um, Where where, where can they find you if they wanted to, um, you know, seek your counsel?
3: Um, I I have a website called Couples Healing Center, or you can email me lizwee i mean at gmail i'm sorry <laughs> i'm
2: like sorry at, at yeah. gmail okay at gmail yeah and i've i've personally sent a a few of my friends over to liz and they they've loved it you know and i think like one of the the cool things is, is like therapy is i call therapy like churches like you got to find the one that that's right for you not right. it's, it's not a one size fits all type of thing and you know a lot of the people that i've been sending over to you are like korean people <laughs> Because they just don't believe in therapy. And I think there's a lot of cultural nuance that right. every time they had to go to a therapist that wasn't Korean, mm-hmm. 80% of their therapy was them trying to explain to them why it's like the way it is.
3: Right. Yeah. Yeah which That's takes up
2: so much time mm-hmm. and it sometimes people just don't understand. Mm-hmm. It's like so why did your parents throw the rice cooker? It's like move on past this. Like this is uh, <laughs> you know. So <laughs> you know, it just makes That's just look,
3: how it is. <laughs> yeah, I, don't
2: like, I don't know I don't know why I can explain this to you. Like I don't know why Korean people just start punching holes in walls, yeah. you know. So yeah, you could check out Liz if you guys feel like you um connected with her in some type of way. Mm-hmm. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Genius brings every Thursdays and Sundays. And up until next year, next year it's only once a week because it's wearing me out. So <laughs> But we'll see you all next time. Peace.
1: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard